Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Pony Express, but more specifically, welcome to another episode of Fortress of Ineptitude, our little show within a show where we watch some of the forgotten and maligned comic book movies of years past. As always, I am one of your hosts, Postwriter-in-Chief Mike Levito, and I am joined, also by always, also as always, excuse me, by Post-Rider contributor Lewis Ryan. <laughs> Get out of here. Let the duck into this studio. That, hey, Mike. Hi. Glad to be here. That was a very good duck voice. I, I didn't know I didn't know you you had that in your arsenal of tricks. Yeah, if I could, you know, actually speak words, <laughs> I, would, I would maybe have a future as a uh, career as playing Donald Duck or something, but I can't. I can just do the uh, the quacking. It's, it, it's a start. I, you'll, you'll get there someday. Um, yeah, so today, if... If if Lewis's quacks uh, didn't didn't give it away, we are talking about Howard the Duck, the uh, 1986 George Lucas produced uh, adaptation of the Marvel character Howard the Duck that I would say has gone down in history as as a, a very perhaps one of the more notorious uh, box office bombs. Yeah, that's what I I would use that word notorious. This is definitely the most notorious of the movies we've covered thus far yeah. on the podcast. This is the kind of film because um, when I was growing up, you know, I'd read books from the library, mm-hmm. and it's like you know, back in the day before computers, you had to use books, right? And they were oftentimes <laughs> yeah. five, ten years, you know, behind. Mm-hmm. And so it's like I would read books on movies and George Lucas and Steven Spielberg and whatever, and it would always be up to like a certain point. It's like Howard the Duck was always mentioned as like a bomb. It's like they would show it. It's like this is an example of a bad movie. See figure A, picture of the Howard the Duck poster. <laughs> the one the one black mark in George Lucas's career, <laughs> according to this book that was published just before The Phantom Menace was released. Yes. January 1st, 1999, the day this book was published. Can only go up from here, can't it? Well... It didn't. Um, yeah, so I guess we'll, we'll start off how we, we usually do, Lewis. What Do you have much of a relationship with the character of Howard the Duck? Well, I mean, we've been divorced for 20 years. <laughs> um, to be honest, no. I haven't mm-hmm. read a single Howard the Duck comic. I have a, I have a big... Um, so Howard the Duck was created by Steve Gerber, mm-hmm. who I know is a very important writer to Marvel in the 70s. Very offbeat kind of guy. He had runs, he created Howard the Duck, obviously, which was spun off from his run on Man-Thing, where he basically defined the character of Man-Thing into like his own thing, similarly to what Alan Moore did for Swamp Thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Steve Gerber did. He's just a very sort of like offbeat guy. Like you read about stuff like um, he created this short-lived comic called Omega the Unknown for Marvel, which is about, like, a little boy who has cancer, I think, or maybe is just, like, poor and disenfranchised and, like, basically imagines that he's a superhero. And then, like, Stan Lee was like, we can't do this. You have to make it, like, overt that he's, like, actually a superhero. And it was just very weird and ultimately didn't last very long. And then he had his run on The Defenders, which was basically, like, The Avengers was already sort of, like, a B-tier title, at that time, it didn't really become popular until the movies. And Defenders was like a B-tier of a B-tier on the <laughs> Avengers. And so Steve Gerber could just do whatever he want. And I think this is probably the best example of his kind of writing style. Was that 
during his run on the Defenders, he would have this character called the Elf with a gun. And it'd basically, it'd be like interludes in, in the Defenders. Like, you'd be reading the Defenders, and then there'd be an interlude of a scene where a random person is just minding their own business, and then an elf with a gun <laughs> appears and shoots them to death. And this elf, like, appears ten times. He never interacts with the Defenders. It never culminates into anything, and there's no resolution to it. It's just a darkly a cosmic reflection of the inherent randomness and chaos in the universe and ultimately shows why living in the marvel universe would be a very scary place and so like they were like steve you can't put this stuff in in a marvel comic and then um as the 70s wound to a close i know he became very prominent in like creator's rights Mm. and like because marvel like took ownership of howard the duck who was like very popular and steve ultimately like left marvel on like bad terms and began like decades-long series of like lawsuits to get like the character back and stuff and uh, he created the character of destroyer duck with jack kirby and there was a comic they did where destroyer duck like sneaks into the marvel universe and like steals howard the duck and replaces him with like a clone howard that like marvel could keep and he was able to keep the real howard the duck it's just very weird um but no, I don't. I don't have a relationship with Howard the Duck. Yeah, neither do I. I've also never read a Howard the Duck comic book, but I feel like I've read a lot about Howard the Duck because Gerber was such an important figure at Marvel, and his writing marked this very kind of like, um, like you said, like offbeat, bizarre sort of angle that they explored a lot in the nineteen seventies. Um, important to note that Howard the Duck, like, initially started, like, his initial kind of encounters and adventures were kind of, like, parodies of horror stories. He first appeared in a comic called Adventure Into Fear, and as you said, he was kind of like a, a, uh, an ally of man thing, but then eventually he, you know, he had his own series, and his adventures got a little more absurd than that. But you, you look like, again, like I said, I've read a lot about him, but not, I haven't read Howard the Duck itself. Like, you know, there's a lot of encounters with, like, like, cults and, like, weird kind of, like, countercultural figures and... And things like that. And I, I think, like, to uh, you, you were talking about Elf with a Gun as well. Like, this idea that the Mar- living in the Marvel Universe would be a scary place. Um, you know, that kind of, like, uh, absurdism is kind of, like, key to Howard the Duck, according to Steve Gerber. Where he talks about, uh, this is a direct quote from him. He says, if Wiley E. Coyote gets run over by a steamroller, the result is a pancake flat coyote who can be expected to snap back to three dimensions within moments. If Howard gets run over by a steamroller... The result is blood on asphalt. So this kind of like somewhat macabre, but also absurd uh, view. He, 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 he considered it kind of like an existential work of art, I guess. Um, which brings us to... And, and he found an audience for it. Um, and that audience included one George Lucas. Um, who... Who is already a fan of Duck comics from the Donald Duck and Uncle Scrooge comics, which he later ripped off for Indiana Jones. True, that that, that is true. We'll have our uh, our series on exposing George Lucas as a fraud for that um, later on. But uh, yeah, so he worked with uh, on, on American Graffiti. You know, kind of one of his first big movies. Uh, he worked with. Uh, two friends of his from did he was he was he a USC film school guy, George Lucas. Yes. Yes. 
George Lucas is from California. Yes, well, yeah. Uh, he has the geographical advantage on all of us. <laughs> he certainly does, which is why growing up in New Jersey and right next to New Jersey, we're so successful on Wall Street. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so he was uh, he worked he he co-wrote that movie with his friends Willard, I believe it's Huck or Huke. I actually don't know how to pronounce his last name. Huck. Yeah, exactly. Gosh, right, Mickey and Gloria Katz, who were both married. Um, they, they, they wrote American Graffiti well, together. to each other. Yes, yes. Um, <laughs> George Lucas was also married <laughs> yeah. at one point. <laughs> yes. And then, uh, if I recall, it didn't exactly end well for him, um, unfortunately. But, uh, and George Lucas came to them and was like, hey, I've, I've discovered this, this crazy comic book, Howard the Duck, you guys should really read it, we should maybe make a movie out of it. And, uh. You know, they were into the idea as well. And George Lucas actually resigned as president of Lucasfilm to focus, well, actually not particularly on this movie, but to make movies in general. Um, and this was when he really wanted to get made. And um, initially, Gloria Katz and, and Willard Huck were, were, wanted it to be an animated film. But Universal Studios said, no, we have to release this movie in the summer and we are not going to have enough time or money to make an animated movie. So instead, uh, they decided to create a live-action Howard the Duck, which, depending on who you ask, is kind of where, where the problems with this movie begin. I just want to point out that these two people who wrote Howard the Duck, they did write The Temple of Doom, which is oh. unfairly maligned, in my opinion, as a not-great Indiana Jones movie, but it may in fact be the best. <laughs> Yeah they, they, yeah, they had, like, careers outside of this. It was the last movie that, that Willard would direct. Well, actually, I, I don't think they really did have much of a career oh. <laughs> outside of this, unfortunately. Um, the Radioland Murders was, like, the other movie that I know at least Willard wrote. I don't know if But, if yeah, was. that was a script that had sort of already existed. Mm -hmm. That was back up. Yeah, looking at it now, uh, this, this was pretty much the end of their careers, more or less. Um, anyway, uh, so I guess we can start there with, uh, the, the, so Howard the Duck, the way he's portrayed is that it's kind of like, like a, uh, a combination puppet and suit. Um, initially they had hired a child actor named Jordan Prentice to play Howard the Duck in the suit. And they were going to hire somebody else to do the voice. And they had puppet operators, you know, manipulating the uh, the eyes and, and the mouth and things like that of Howard the Duck. Um, initially, they weren't just like full puppet, but the puppets kept breaking. So they, they did that. Eventually, Jordan Prentice uh, left production because he just like could not handle the, the shooting schedule. Um, and so they ended up hiring a guy named Ed Gale, who was a dwarf, to... Uh, to play him instead. What did you think of the uh, effects, the, the the Howard portrayal in this movie? Have you seen these um, things that have gone mimetic recently of like AI generated? Like what if um, The Office was made in the 80s or like SpongeBob as a live action sitcom? Yes. I was like watching the Howard the Duck thing and I was like, oh, this is what like Howard the Duck would be in a live action 80s movie. <laughs> I mean, it's one of the kind of these things is like, you know, like people at the time would be like, how are you going to make that work in a live action movie? And then it's like, well, 
they did it. Um, yep. I, I think it would probably be a lot better today mm-hmm. with CGI. Looking at examples like the Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Right. As an example. Mm-hmm. But um, they did it. I mean... It's kind of one of these things when I was, like, watching it and I was just accepting it. But it's, like, when I was staring at, like, Howard too long, Mm -hmm. I was, like, realizing it's, like, this kind of looks creepy. Yeah, I I didn't mind it. I mean, like, maybe just because I knew what I was getting into. And, like, I had already seen stills from this movie and all of that. But I didn't think it was, like, too bad. It's kind of right. It's, like, what else were they supposed to do? in a way, unless you're just going to go full, like, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, I... I would have, But this would have... Would it have been better with, like, a Muppet? Maybe. I guess it really depends what you would want him to do. But it could have been, I guess. Um, yeah, maybe it would have. Um, it's not exactly, like, a, uh, a not-creepy-looking puppet or whatever no, i mean it, it's fine mm-hmm. but uh i i guess like as i was watching the movie i was like this is like i fi- i felt in a way that how howard look was kind of like the least of its problems i felt like there were much bigger issues with it um as the movie played out um but yeah um no i think the movie is flawless otherwise <laughs> Um, I should point out too that Ed Gale, also known for playing Chucky in the Child's Play films. Um, but anyway, so I, let, let's get a little bit more into like kind of the, the story then of this movie. Um, we're introduced to Howard. Uh, he walks into his apartment on Duck World in a kind of like New York City facsimile that uh, you can tell is not of this earth because it has two moons instead of one. Um, we get these kind of like moody. We get this kind of like moody noir music. These shots inside his uh, his apartment that, that give us a sense of the life Howard has led. You know, it seemed he was a musician in a past life. He he was a bit of a hippie. Um, he was on the cover of whatever their version of Rolling Stone was. I don't remember exactly. Um, Rolling Egg. I mean, probably. Uh, he's listening to 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 his his uh his voicemails he gets a call from his his mother he gets calls from from a woman um friend of his and he he sits down and opens up play duck uh the the version of playboy he this movie is off to a great start yes it Family is fun um and and he sees some we get we get full well not full frontal exactly but we get topless duck nudity in this movie um but what did you think of this introduction to, to Howard's world? Uh, I mean, it's fine. It made me think of, like, Roger Rabbit. Because mm-hmm. of, like, the music and, like, the absurdity of the situation, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It was, it was nice scene setting, mm-hmm. I guess. The problem I really have is, like, with what immediately happens after. <laughs> Which is when he just gets up and sucked at sucked yeah. by a wormhole. Apropos of nothing. Yes. <laughs> it's uh, <just> like <laughs> not, not the most creative screenwriting no. I've ever seen. Well, it's funny because I watched, I didn't get to watch all of it, but I watched a little bit of, there's like a documentary about the making of Howard the Duck on YouTube and they interview um, uh, 
Hyuk. Yeah, Hyuk. Sorry, my screen saver kicked in. Um, they, yeah, they interview Hyuk and Katz and then Leah Thompson and some other folks. Um, but Hyuk and Katz are like, yeah, we just wanted to start the movie with, like, just Howard existing in Cleveland. Like, we didn't want to explain how he got there initially. And they're like, but these Hollywood types are very literal-minded, so we had to create this whole thing. Um, and it is kind of funny to me that they, they created this pretty, like, you know, uh, well-thought-out, like set for like 10 minutes of screen time basically um but yeah howard gets sucked out through a wormhole out of his apartment we see more duck nudity in the process there's a a female duck uh bathing um and he gets sucked and he's hurtling through the cosmos and we get this voiceover about uh the cosmos and then he lands basically in an alley and there are these punks who, who are looming over him and you think they're they're gonna beat him up but then they're like ah this guy's cool, and they kind of throw him at one of their friends, and he ends up in a rock club uh, where he's, we're, we're introduced uh, kind of indirectly to Beverly Switzler, who is, is singing at the rock club uh, in her band Cherry Bomb, which is clearly an allusion to the runaway song Cherry Bomb. Um, and then we, we kind of... Eventually, they, they leave the club, and... Beverly is sort of cornered by by these men and uh Howard uh, helps defend her by deploying his skills of quack foo and and they strike up a bit of a friendship and and she brings him back to I would say her loft but loft is probably too charitable a term for for what's basically just this this kind of flop house she's staying in what what did you think of of Howard's introduction to to earth um I don't know, because <laughs> like I said, it's like he just out of nowhere he just gets teleported to Earth, mm-hmm. and you're kind of just watching him bum around, mm-hmm. and I don't know. In a weird way, the movie is like too mundane mm-hmm. for its own good. He goes into the rock club and they're like playing rock, mm-hmm. and like. I was thinking, because, like, like I said, he gets sucked into Earth just out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking, like, this movie is just, like, a feature-length, like, music video. Yeah. It operates on music video logic. It's mm-hmm. just, like, you know, where music video, it's, like, only three minutes long, so it's, like, anything can just happen. You know, sync can be puppets dancing mm-hmm. on a little puppet stage. Uh, a, a girl can be teleported into, like, a hand-drawn, aha-inspired world <laughs> right. where he's chased by a guy with a lead pipe. Mm-hmm. Um just, you know, all sorts of things can happen. But it's like, what if the music video was two hours long? <laughs> right. That's what this is like. It's just music video logic. It's like you're just watching it. It's like all surface level, I would think. Nothing is like happening where I'm like thinking about anything. Thinking about the world, politics, <laughs> gender roles, like anything. It's just like, there's a duck watching a rock show happen mm-hmm. on Earth. Gee, isn't that weird? Aren't I just tickled by that idea? It's like, no, I'm not. So. Yeah, it, it relies a lot on the premise of, you know, I'm good at, I guess I'm kind of mixing metaphors, but Howard being a fish out of water in uh, on Earth, and, like, they uh, they can only get so much mileage out of that concept, right? You can only have so many people react to him, like, kind of confused or scared, and there are only so many duck puns you can deploy. Like, there's this scene where he falls asleep and Beverly goes through his wallet, and he has uh, 
a, a mallard card instead of a master card and then she pulls out like a dollar bill and it, the the uh you know the portrait of of george washington well he's he's like a duck george washington and to me that was just like the laziest possible illustration i'd ever seen <laughs> like it, yeah. it, it 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 was not like uh they just put a bill on a bill yeah basically <laughs> And it, it, it was just like, oh, man, they're really just kind of looking, do you think the, looking for anything. Do you say? think the Secret Service was deployed to investigate this movie over the fake money being produced? <laughs> the, the counterfeit, the counterfeit money. Uh, maybe, you know, it'd be it'd be very funny if someone tried to pass that off. I I like like when the film gets to the part when uh he and beverly sort of part ways and he starts looking for a job i feel like the film starts to like pick up some momentum yes yeah yeah i mean did you thought so i did yeah so so basically what happens is is they beverly has a friend who is a scientist who works at like the local museum of natural history um and he's played by by tim robbins in in one of his first film roles were were you did you know tim robbins was in this or were you as surprised as i was to to see him in it no I, i was surprised to see his name in the credits yeah, there's, there's quite a few uh, Academy Award winners slash nominees and Golden Globe nominees in this movie. Yes, which uh, does not translate into a um, great <laughs> film experience on its own. No, yeah, you mentioned David Paymer. Uh, yeah, David Paymer's here in a blink and you miss it role as one of mm-hmm. the scientists on the laser, and uh, he was nominated for Mister Saturday Night yep. for an Academy Award. And Jeffrey Jones, of course, I thought he was nominated for an Oscar, but it turns out it was Golden Globe for his role as the. Um, the uh duke in uh amadeus emperor joseph and then tim robbins of course won for mystic river in 2003 um but yeah anyway and he uh the the whole museum thing makes very little sense um but is entertaining enough excuse me tim robbins is at least like acting funny he is yeah he he, he's bringing a lot of energy he's He's fully, and that's that's what I'll say for actually the cast is like say what you will about this movie, but uh, you know, everyone's like pretty invested from a performance standpoint. I would say, like Robbins is doing a lot. Uh, Leah Thompson is, I think, trying pretty hard as well, and Jeffrey oh, Jones yeah, she tries so hard. Like you literally think she's in love with this duck. Yeah, she <laughs> she could commit carnal acts. <laughs> she tries so hard to the point where it almost becomes like she's almost doing kind of like uh it feels like kid movie acting where it feels like she is like especially towards the end it feels like she's giving this like over the top performance that's like meant to like very easily translate emotions to like children who might not be able to pick up on more subtle stuff not that anything about this movie is subtle in the first place but there's something about it that felt very like i don't know um it felt like the acting in the recent Chippendale movie to me or something. Um, which is not a criticism. It's just a, an observation. Um, Imagine going back in time and telling Leah Thompson, hey, your two most memorable roles will be one where you try to have sex with a duck and then the other one will be try to have sex with your own son. That's a good <laughs> and point. these would both be family-friendly <laughs> movies. Yeah, quote-unquote. Um, man, what, what, what a rough run for her, huh? um now she's directing star trek picard yeah and she she had uh apparently had tried to bring howard the duck back and direct the uh the return of that but 
didn't happen. This movie's re- really rough on her as far as the situations it puts her in. Um, it feels like every time she turns a corner, there's somebody trying to assault her. Um, but those are just the mean streets of Cleveland in 1986, I guess. Um, yeah, Drew Carey assaulting her. <laughs> she's, yeah. Also, when I was watching, I was like, man, the wardrobe like, just did not do her any favors. He has some ridiculous outfits, and it turns out that she, like, did most of the wardrobe for her character. I was like, mm-hmm. well, you have no one to blame but yourself. Ha- haircut, on the other hand, also, uh, whoever cut her hair has a lot to answer for as well. Anyway, um, and then Jeffrey Jones, I would say, also is is doing a lot. Um, or he's, he's at least trying. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, they do Playing get... a character just slightly less evil than the principal in Ferris Bueller's Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Anyway, yes, you're right. So they get separated eventually. Um, you know, they, they have kind of this fight. And I, I did find the whole thing where, like, Howard goes to, like, yeah, like, the, uh, the employment office. And he gets berated by this woman there. And I enjoyed that scene because she kind of, like, doesn't flat out say, like, you're a duck. And that's weird. She is, like, treating him just like a a person. And she's like, your your problem is you think you're controversial. <laughs> like, she kind of, like, just, like, like, gives him this dressing down that comes out of complete nowhere. And just kind of, like, the randomness of that I appreciated. And then he gets a job at, like, a, uh, basically a bathhouse that people are just having sex at constantly. <laughs> um, this really just, like, disgusting place, and he's just, like, a towel boy, basically. Um, and then eventually he leaves and uh, goes to try and find Beverly again. He, he, he goes back to the club, and he meets... Uh, the manager of the band who it's basically like he overhears him taking money. It's very unclear what's going on because a guy gives him money. He's like, Hey, here's the money for the girls. And he's like, yeah, okay. And he puts it in his own pocket and then kind of, I feel like implies that he has like nefarious designs on Beverly. Um, I don't understand why he was getting like who, like if that was a club owner giving him money and then, Howard confronts him and, and there's this whole kind of like scene where he fights off him and, and his friends and um what 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 did we think of all this? What did I think of Howard winning the band's contract from the manager via <laughs> trial by combat? I guess so. I don't know. Um it was alright, it happened. Mm-hmm. I don't <laughs> I don't know what you want me to say. Um, <laughs> it wasn't funny. It wasn't thrilling. Right. It just happened. Yes. I would agree. The one thing that did make me laugh is when the bartender just like hands him a bottle of vodka and he smashes across the guy's head. I thought that was funny. But I think, and this is actually kind of reminds us of when we were talking about The Punisher, it's like these like quote unquote action scenes with Howard, like there's no style to them. Right. Like, and I think part of that's just the difficulty of, of shooting with, like, the Howard suit. But it's, like, there's supposed to be kind of, I guess, punchlines and and some kind of excitement. But the way it's shot is just so kind of boring. And it's not incomprehensible. It's just, like, 
very clearly like it's just not believable and obviously it's it's a life-size duck of course it's not going to be believable but um you know it it, there, it just doesn't connect it um and it's not like the manager is like this big muscly tough guy no it's just like a weasel scrawny weaselly guy really so it's like whatever right yeah <laughs> it's a triumph for our character to it, it, defeat this regular absolutely normal person yeah um exactly and then uh anyway he 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 goes backstage he's like hey you know good news you guys are free from from the manager uh he accompanies beverly back to her apartment and this is as you alluded to where uh they they uh they prepare to have sex basically <laughs> and it's very weird it's very strange, um, especially Howard's reaction where he's like clear. He Howard throughout this movie is, is just kind of like a, you know, like a horny guy. He's kind of a dog. Like it's implied he's kind of like a, a ladies' duck, if you will. Um, but then when when Beverly for whatever reason is like yeah no let's actually do this, um, he all of a sudden is very scared of her. Um, well, he gets skittish he gets skittish yeah he uh he has like his his feathers have an erection basically <laughs> on the top of his head um which is very strange um apparently that that took <laughs> i was reading wikipedia that took months to prepare the suit to do that mm-hmm. um but yeah yeah um and then, uh, well, let me ask you this question, Louis. Did you think their relationship was believable? <laughs> did you yeah. think? Did you think they had chemistry? I did. I mean, I like Leah Thompson is like the best. She, she. I mean, she's like the focus because, yeah. like Howard, really, they like, can't do much acting because he's mm-hmm. a, a robot. Um. So you know, I believed it she's she's like providing the chemistry you know on her mm-hmm. on her own in my opinion and but you know i believed like they were actually going to start you know <laughs> having relations on the bed and it's like what kind of movie is this so like that that's more of like my complaints and criticism about it. it's like did you expect this to go over well and make a lot of money is this what you made star wars and now it's like this is what people want to see um I don't know. I mean, I I believed it, like, like I, I literally thought that it was gonna be. I mean, I knew like kind of in the back of my head they weren't gonna do it because it's this movie wasn't like rated R or rated X or anything. But I was <laughs> right. like, I thought they were like about to, and then like they get interrupted by uh, Jeffrey Jones and Tim Robbins. So I was like, oh okay. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. Very. Yeah, the, the tone of this movie is, is, of course, all over the place. You know, it's ostensibly, like a, like you said, a family-friendly movie, but it's it's very raunchy. Um, you have this scene, which is very strange. Um, it's like it's like they're misunderstanding, like, how to do jokes that, like, wink at the adults. Right. Like, bring their kids, mm-hmm. you know, to the theater. They're just... It's more like the, <laughs> they're having, like, little... I don't know. It's like, this is basically a film for adults and the adults have to explain to their kids like, oh, this is a duck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would agree with you. It, it, it Yeah. It, it feels like a movie aimed at adults, even though apparently that was not the intent. 
Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know. But anyway, they, they were too ahead of the curve for the the future that you would have uh, man children <laughs> attendees to these kinds of movies. Right. Yeah. They. Uh, um, yeah, when 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 Marvel kind of blurs the line between that, even though I'd argue Marvel doesn't really blur blur that line a lot, but uh, but I mean, like watching a Marvel movie compared to like a, a, a Quantum Mania is out now, right? Or about to be, mm-hmm. and it's like watching that probably compared to this. It's like Marvel movies are so like kidified, you know what I mean? Oh yeah, yeah, um, and like part of that is due to this movie's uh, ineptness. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, yeah, the, these these films are just like totally made by committee, just like not even trying to appeal to like any adults, right, or right. anything, really. Yeah, yeah, and and completely asexual too in a lot of ways, I would say. Um, yeah, or unsexual. I mean, think maybe. of the sexual possibilities of Ant Man. Any <laughs> any Marvel hero, it's it's mind boggling. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Well, uh, I shouldn't say that. Eternals does have a sex scene in it now, doesn't it? Um, everybody was freaking out about that for like a month. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, so Jeffrey Jones shows up. They, they they figured out how Howard got there. It turns out that this team of scientists was doing something with like a laser spectroscope and, and they accidentally aimed it at Howard's home planet and, and it caused this wormhole that brought him there. Um so they, they and this is like halfway through the movie yeah yeah basically up until this point there's really no plot as you kind of said howard just shows up in cleveland has some misadventures almost gets laid and then and then jeffrey jones shows up um so they they drive to the lab i like when he shows like the vhs tape <laughs> yes. of the laser yeah and it's basically like the missing opening scene of the movie yeah yeah that's a very good point um like it's not it's not like a security camera footage it's shot and edited like a scene from right. the movie yeah yeah no that, that's a good point yeah yeah it's, why, why it would have given this... some dramatic oomph to the beginning of this movie when you realize and then it's like that you could have cut to them like looking for howard mm-hmm. and stuff i don't know anything but instead it's just we like almost in a way it's like admirable because i see a lot of people they want like a really why isn't there an MCU movie just about like a regular guy mm-hmm. going about his business? And it's like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is kind of like that. Where it's like there's potential here to do something like satirical mm-hmm. and absurd, but it's like I said, it's too mundane for its own good in the first half. Exactly, yeah. And um the I, I kind of didn't touch on this, but like the portrayal of Howard in general, it's it's like he's not like an interesting character outside of him being a duck right like the comic book character is kind of this like cigar chomping kind of like i hear it compared to like groucho Marx and stuff like it'd be like funnier if it, he actually felt like he was transported from like a screwball comedy or like a, a film noir but instead he's just kind of like a wisecracking 80s lead who happens to be a duck yeah i mean at like the peak of his popularity there was like a not real campaign to run Howard for president. That right. might have been an interesting direction to go yeah. with it. If you're going to do something like Howard runs for office, like mm-hmm. something like every eighties movie is about developer wants to destroy the community that people live in and put in an office building. Like you could have done that. And like Howard like rallies 
you know, the community, and they're like, Howard, 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 and he, like, runs against, like, the 80s slick-haired businessman, but mm-hmm. no, the, the film does does nothing instead. Yeah, it's, it's like, like I was saying with, like, the whole, like, uh, employment office scene, it's like, if he was just, like, in, like, the, the, like, mystery of why he's there is really not interesting on its own, and it would have been funnier if he was just kind of, like, yeah, like, took that kind of, like, position in people's lives where he became... Like, just kind of, like... Figurehead or spearhead of a community. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, instead, this is almost kind of like E.T., but with a duck. Um, E.T. is more interesting. Oh, no, it's a thousand percent more interesting. But it feels like they're just kind of, like... The idea of, like, oh, it's this person... This 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 creature from, like, another world, and we have to protect it from the government or whoever, right? Right. Um, obviously, E.T. is a much better movie. Um, anyway. It's like if E.T. had all the charm of The Thing, the John <laughs> Carpenter movie. Sure. Um, that, uh, that, that's fair. Anyway, they, they, they go to, to the lab where, where this, the spectroscope is. It turns out um, it was like uh, they, they, they tried to run it again. It, it malfunctions. It causes like an explosion or whatever. Um, I didn't think it was kind of funny when, like, the guy shows up, like, at the front door and, like, half his face is burned off. And he's like, we shouldn't have, like, you know, played God. We shouldn't have, like, you know, yeah. violated the laws of nature. I was like, more more energy like that would have made this a more interesting movie. Should have just, like, spun a wheel of, like, cliched lines. It's like, spin, spin, spin. It's like, we've tampered in God's domain. <laughs> yeah. God damn it, all the hell. You did it. Anyway. Um, this is the point where the film becomes interesting, in my opinion. I guess. It's where it's the point where there's actual conflict. Um, yes. Because basically what happens is it turns out that um, after this happens, a uh, the the dark... The dark overlords... The dark of the overlords universe. of the universe. Yes. <laughs> Some Lovecraftian nightmare <laughs> elder gods that are just pure evil yes one of them has been transported into the body of jeffrey jones's character dr jenning and howard and and leah thompson don't notice this at first right they don't take it seriously yeah um and they go to like a like a denny's basically well i thought that that was like slightly comical how it's like a cajun sushi right yeah it's like ostensibly (laughs) like the all-american diner that's been rebranded to yeah. appeal to like the latest trends yeah joe romas i think it was called yeah it's just like all these like basically like cowboys and like you know kimonos and with like the the rising yeah, sun the, the waitress has like the uh the candy striper shirt but yeah. they have like a bandana with like the rising sun symbol yeah. on it yeah um and and jeffrey jones keeps giving these monologues about how you know the end is near and all this um and they're trying to figure yeah. out what to do. While they're sitting at a table in a diner. Yes, yes. Just talking. Yeah. Um, and they order, I think, the special or something. And uh, th- this was, like, my big question of the movie. The biggest question I came away with, they, they bring the special, and it includes eggs. So Howard naturally freaks out because um, he doesn't want to be a cannibal, even though I my guess is they're chicken eggs and not duck eggs. But my question is, how does Howard know what cooked eggs look like if he doesn't eat them? Um, 
I, I could ask a <laughs> question in response that would probably be disgusting. Um, because he knows biology of but ducks. Would you know cooked human flesh if you saw it? Flesh, no. But if they showed like a, a, a the like cooked ovum or whatever, <laughs> sure. I mean, we all know. I, I guess so. I don't know. That that part just didn't connect with me. Um, That's when the film lost. Again. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, anyway. But so while they're at this restaurant, as I said, uh, you know, Beverly for just, just is, is constantly being like assaulted. So these 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 truckers come up and they hassle her and they hassle Howard. And like all the people in this diner or most of the people in this diner just like pick him up and like they're going to like decapitate him and then like deep fry him this is the passion of howard moment yes yeah <laughs> there is something very christ-like about it isn't there um and I, I did think it was kind of funny when like as you mentioned it's like they have him on the table and there's one shot and there's just all of a sudden like a japanese chef out of nowhere sharpening a knife there's something that felt kind of very like airplane about that to me um but anyway it's at that moment that the, the, the powers of the Dark Lord, Overlord of the Universe kind of manifest. Um, you know, he, he shocks a bunch of people. He, he, he messes up the, the restaurant. Um, and he, he absconds with, with Beverly. Um, what did you think of the special effects in this movie? I thought they were pretty good. What did you think? Um, I don't know. It's hard to say. It's easy to like be like compare this to Star Wars. Mm -hmm. The problem is is that they update the special effects for Star Wars every so often. Mm -hmm. But like I was kind of like unimpressed considering that this is Lucasfilm, Industrial Light and Magic. Yeah, and I understand it was 1986, so Mm -hmm. there's a certain cheapness to just having Jeffrey Jones play like the evil alien, and he has like special powers. But it just felt not. Not that uh, gripping to me. Not that uh, interesting. Yeah, it didn't like blow my mind or anything. But I didn't think like I wasn't like oh these effects are bad. Like I, I thought they were they they got the job done. They they were perfectly adequate, um, and all that. But but anyway, I don't know. It was it was okay. Yeah, but but I think as you said, like you know, they're they're not Star Wars level. They're not a uh, THX eleven thirty eight level. Um, I guess I've actually never seen that movie. Back to the but. Future. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, the Dark Overlord of the Universe sets out with Beverly. The police show up. Uh, Bill is like in the in the back of the police car. Um, point is basically, ends up, we we end up with like this race basically to a lab where or the lab i guess where jeffrey jones is gonna set the spectrometer again so he can get a dark lord of the universe dark overlord of the universe excuse me to uh get inside the body of beverly um and we we end up with this pretty long chase scene um where howard and and tim robbins discover this according to wikipedia it's called an ultralight aircraft just kind of like you know one of those like aerial vehicles that's you know you it's it's like a hang glider almost 
It's like a recumbent bike that flies. Yeah, yeah. Um, we get basically just like like I said, a super long or it felt super long to yeah. me chase scene between the cops and Howard and, and Phil in this in this ultralight. Did yep. did, did did this feel as tedious to you as it did to me? Yeah, it did feel like it went on a little long. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was more exciting than like the first half of the movie, but um, there was really like no variation to it, and it's really disappointing considering you know George Lucas is like the master of set pieces, yeah, like coming up with ideas and stuff, and it's like it's like that's all you got. Right, <laughs> this yeah. feels like the only real big like action set piece in the movie, and it's Ye- uh just a little little too long yeah a little too long it's like nothing we haven't seen before either right you know um and and only so exciting also this is like like while this is happening you know uh beverly and the and jeffrey jones are like on their way as well and you know there's this whole big like there's like a police checkpoint and jeffrey jones like blows up all these cars and wreaks all this havoc the musical cues in those scenes feel completely out of source with what's going on on the screen. Like, there are these very kind of, like, triumphant, like, instrumentals when, when the, the villain of the movie is just, like, killing a bunch of people. I really didn't understand what the, what the score was doing in this movie. Um, and that, to me, was, like, the most glaring example. But, anyway. They end up... Who did at- the score for this movie? Beethoven? <laughs> it's like he didn't know what was going on. It was John Barry and Sylvester LeVay. Don't know either of those people. Um, anyway, uh, apparently... Oh, wow. John Barry did Dr. James no. Bond. Yeah. I had no idea. Um, good for him. Anyway. Uh, basically, Howard and Phil end up at this lab. Um they have this confrontation with the dark overlord of the universe. Um, they, they find this like weapon. They seem like they blow him away. They at least get him, but they just get him out of Jeffrey Jones's body. There's no real reason. Usually in movies like this, there's like a reason why Howard would be the only one that can defeat him. Yeah. But there's really not. No, it's just that he's there. There's no inherent ability to his being a duck that enables him to use the the laser right better and like, than anyone else. It's supposed to kind of set up um like it him kind of like make basically he has to kind of like destroy the 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 spectrometer in the process. It's supposed to be like a sacrifice for him. Like he can't go back to duck world and and you know he makes the sacrifice, but it doesn't feel especially palpable or dramatic. Um but yeah, they have this fight. Dark Overlord leaves Jeffrey Jones's body, and it appears as this kind of like stop motion, it's somewhat Star Wars esque monster. Um, did Did you have an opinion on on, on the character design on, on the effects of, of the Dark Overlord of the universe? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Clive Barker watched the movie just to see what the Dark Overlord looked like. <laughs> really? Um. I would say underwhelming, I guess. Not yeah. exactly strongly memorable visual. No, and then it, I, I would agree. And then when uh, when he and like Howard are in like a, a shot together, like there's very clear sort of like you know 
it's it's clearly like a kind of like this movie it's like um uh, the Jeffrey Jones character mm-hmm. portrayal and the reveal of the Dark Overlord. It's basically a worse version of um, Edgar from the first Men in Black movie. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yes. Yeah, Vincent D'Onofrio gives a really very creepy performance, helped a lot by the makeup and stuff. And when the the giant cockroach eventually appears at the end, like that's much more memorable. Mm-hmm. And it is like uh, Will Smith is the only one there that can stop him. It's not like they had this big scene. Well, I mean, I guess there was a scene where they're, like, racing. But it just felt like, just call. Like, they're the men in black. They're supposed to be dealing with these alien situations. There's no reason they can't call the military or anyone to go to the laser or anything to deal with the Dark Overlord. Mm-hmm. It has to be Howard the Duck. It was just like, eh. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. There, there's just not a lot of strong um, motivation there. We don't even really get a sense why the Dark Overlord of the Universe, like, what, what, what his goal is outside, like... Well, he's going to bring the rest of the Dark Overlords down and put them in... Put one of them in Beverly. Yeah, but, like, to, to, to what end? You know? Just to destroying Earth? I don't know. Um, but, uh... Yeah. Um, all, 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 all Jeffrey Jones really does is, is put on a scary voice, and then slowly they give him more makeup when he starts to transform, but... It's fine, but anyway, um, maybe the Dark Overlords are like the Green Goblin, and their ultimate goal is just to take over all the syndicates in New York. Maybe, maybe just to be evil. <laughs> um, evil Norman Osborn. <laughs> uh, but yeah, basically, um, they destroy the the spectrometer. We get this shot where it's clearly just like three images of the other Dark Overlords, like copy and pasted, or at least the nineteen eighty six version of copy and pasted. As they travel through the wormhole, and the wormhole blows up and they disintegrate. And then uh, the movie ends. Howard is Beverly's manager. Phil is apparently like their lights guy. And uh, we, we get a little musical number with a song about Howard the Duck, where Howard plays a guitar solo that yeah. sounds like it comes out of a talk box, even though he's not using a talk box. But anyway. And the credits have already started rolling. <laughs> yes, yes. And then they end. And I'm like, oh, I guess more is happening. But it's really just he goes kind of backstage with Beverly and they, and he says something like, not bad for a duck, huh? And then they just, they do their version of kissing, I guess. Um, and then that's the end. Uh, did, did, did you like the song at the end, Lewis? Oh, it was fine. I mean, it's catchy. Yeah. Howard the Duck. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It's like been, uh, what, 30, 40 years since... They make movies that end with, like, a concert. Right, yeah. <laughs> I can't imagine Ant-Man and the Wasp doing this. No. Although from the trailers, it seems like there's kind of a celebrity element to the movie. But that's probably more at the beginning. Um, Ant-Man and Wasp. Ant-Man <laughs> and Wasp. Kang um, on the triangle. Ding! Yeah. They tried to, for um, The Amazing Spider-Man 2... Um, Pharrell assembled like a group of musicians who called themselves the Sinister Six, and they recorded a an end credit song, but that never really took off. Um, you know who helped write that Howard the Duck song at the end? Who or produce it? George Clinton. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. That's um, why I read the credits. <laughs> yeah. Well, the guy who did like all the rest of the, the music was Thomas Dolby, who. Um, is was one hit wonder of his own 
with the song she blinded me with science um a very very 80s song um but that's cool george clinton huh who knew um what was the other thing i was gonna say about that ending um i don't know but uh is it weird for to bring your manager out on stage to perform a guitar solo? <laughs> uh, well, it's, they don't even like do it on purpose. It's like he's standing on a platform that drops him by accident, and then they're like, "It's rock and roll time," and they hand him a guitar. And like I said, he plays a solo that sounds like it's coming out of a talk box, even though he doesn't have one in his mouth. And then the the guitar tone just changes like a million different times, and uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Th- th- that's what I was gonna say. It's like. The musician angle of Howard is, like, only so, like, I initially thought that was going to be, like, a bigger part of this movie, would be, like, him helping the band, like, get off, like, be, become, like, a, like, a, an arena-selling act, as apparently they are at the end, um, but it isn't. It's, like, they say he's a musician, like, he, well, for, he goes to, he's in Beverly's apartment, he's, like, messing around with her keyboard, he presses a preset button and then dances to it. And then they say that, like, oh, he wrote that song? Even though, like, I don't understand how that's possible if it was already preset. Um, but yeah, that they, they, they clearly just kind of threw that element in there, it seems, to, like, be able to release an original soundtrack. Um, which, which they did. And then uh, never really... They, they, don't, they don't really return to it too much. But, uh, yeah... That, uh, that's the story of Howard the Duck. Um, Lewis, would you recommend this movie to other people? Um, I would say not really. Yeah. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, it's okay. <laughs> um, I feel like, yeah, this is just, like, an absolutely, like, wasted concept. It's absolutely squandered, like, every opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's, like, they just... It's, like, two halves of the movie. They should have just picked, like, one direction to go with it. It feels like they did two directions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, it's a little, you know, the second half's a little more exciting, but that by that point, you don't really care. Yeah, I would agree. I would actually say, like, if you're going to watch this, if you just kind of want to experience Howard the Duck and get a sense for this, like, notoriously bad movie, I would actually say watch up until, like, the plot actually happens because I feel like all you really need to watch up to is, like, you know, Howard and Beverly almost having sex. And then I feel like you've seen everything you need to see in this movie, right? You've seen all, like, the ridiculously bad stuff. And the rest is, like, just a little bit more of, like, a by-the-numbers adventure movie. Or not even event, like, action movie or whatever. Um, and I think you'll, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll be fine. Yeah. You, you don't need to commit a whole 111 minutes to it if you want to get, get a sense for how it works. By the way, um, <laughs> it wasn't uh, George Clinton of Parliament Funkadelic fame. It was actually George S. Clinton, who was, like, a separate guy who helped write the song. <laughs> <laughs> so dang it mike just let me spread misinformation on the <laughs> internet they couldn't even get the real guy um yeah this, this was a movie that uh not that it matters because these awards are stupid but it was nominated for a lot of razzies and it won a couple of them it won worst visual effects 
Worst New Star, which went to everybody who was Howard, portrayed Howard. Uh, worst Screenplay and Worst Picture. Mm. And Tim Robbins was nominated for Worst Supporting Actor. Undeserved, I would say. Um, and Willard Yuck for Worst Director. Maybe a little more deserved. Um, but you know what? what? I will say this. Mm-hmm. They made a movie and it failed. Yes. Every, critics didn't like it. Audiences didn't see it. It bombed. Yeah. It's not like today where, it, you know, they just keep, you know, people will keep going to see them and they keep mm-hmm. making them. They tried. It failed. It's done. It's it's over. You know, you don't have to watch this movie. It's not like they made a ton of sequels after this that were just, you know, obnoxious. It was it was done. It was one and done. It's over. It's almost like quaint compared to today's movie landscape. Yeah. They came, they saw, they failed, they moved on, I think is... They is, laid an egg. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, did they. Um, that's a good point. It actually did, according to Wikipedia at least, it made $1 million of its budget back if the numbers on Wikipedia are to be, are to be Well, believed, I mean, the so. marketing doesn't count towards the budget. That's true, it doesn't, does it? Um, this, this movie's a bomb. Yeah, it, it is a bomb. For some reason in Europe it was called Howard, a new breed of hero. I don't know why... You would have to change the name of this movie. Um, but anyway, they, uh, and, and, but this would not be the last, of course, we saw of Howard the Duck on the big screen. He has a cameo appearance in Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, probably the last interesting post credit Marvel scene ever made. And, uh, like I said, Leah Thompson was trying to pitch marvel on like another howard the duck movie that that she would direct um but uh it it never ended up happening probably for the best i would say but yeah we live in a weird time where it is like let's celebrate everything that's ever done let's bring in all the batmen and all it's like oh, it was all good you know they'll all appear on legends of tomorrow and it's like let's mm. let's bring all that howard the duck actors back and it's like no we don't really need to um <laughs> sometimes it's best to just let things lie yeah I, I do think that it is kind of like wasted they're kind of wasting the ip not doing anything with howard the duck though because i i do think there's uh they can reap something from that. yeah there's potential. I just think it would have to be like um, weirder than Marvel would be willing to make it, if that makes sense. Like I would watch like a Howard the Duck and Man Thing show or movie. I think that would be fun. But I also think you would have to get just like I don't know how you would make it like with the Marvel sensibility. I guess. Yeah, I mean, you. I could see them doing something on disney plus but it just becomes like the crunching the numbers like what's the most financially viable option for them it's like it just shows the um inherent uh pros of you know the the four color comic it's like you can just do whatever yeah as long as you can draw it and that it's is like you true. can do anything as opposed to let's get 10 million people to computer animate a duck wearing a shirt and tie and it's like hmm this has to make $350 million opening <laughs> weekend. Otherwise, we all lose our jobs. Yeah. Imagine going bankrupt for making a computer-generated Howard the Duck. Um, 
like the one like the the cgi company behind the tiger and life of pi went bankrupt right after the movie came out um is that true yeah yeah or i I, that that's probably like a very simplified version of what happened but i believe that company like did not survive and it's because (sighs) creating that was just so expensive Um, god dang it but at least dang lee won an oscar out of that right (laughs) um anyway life of pi is a much better movie than howard yes i'll say it (laughs) i'll uh, say it yeah rhythm and hue studios who provided most of the visual effects for life of pi was forced to file for bankruptcy on february 11 2013 so yeah um there's a whole host of movies i would recommend over the howard the duck yeah i most of them i would say most (laughs) movies (laughs) um you could even just start with like movies about anthropomorphic animals and, and work your way from there you know, most Looney Tunes stuff, most yeah, Disney I mean, like, stuff. <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which would come out a few years later, is a much better movie than this. Right. Technically based on a comic book, so maybe we'll talk about it one day. Um, yeah, I, I guess I am a little surprised that this hasn't gotten... It does feel like everything, at least on Twitter, gets kind of like a, a reappraisal and a reappreciation um, nowadays. But... Uh, so far, it hasn't come for Howard the Duck. But maybe this is one of those movies that illustrates like the blurring effect we have on nostalgia and history because everyone's like, oh, the 80s is a great decade. Right. So many great movies. The summer of 89 when you had Batman, Indiana Jones, and The Last Crusade, Gremlins 2, like all those movies. And it's like, wow, there were no bad movies in the 80s. And it's like, <laughs> well, there was Howard the Duck. Yeah. <laughs> there sure was. And We uh... just don't remember him. Yeah. Not worth remembering, really, but it's there if you want to check yeah. it out. History is written by the victors, as they say, and Howard the Duck was not a victor in any sense of the word. Um, anyway, do we have anything else to say about this movie, Lewis, or, or are we all tapped out? Nope, I'm, I'm all quacked out. <laughs> oh, well then it's time to... I was going to try and come up with another duck pun, but I'm not quite as quick as you. So it's just time to wrap up the podcast. How about that? Uh, thanks a lot for listening, everybody. Um, you can find this podcast anywhere you can find podcasts, be it on Spotify or iTunes or or Google, what have you. Um, you can also find it on thepostwriter.com, which is you know where where this this podcast is is found, along with his other podcasts, like a couple Lewis and I do. Um, where we're in the midst of, of the next season of The Visitors Might Be Listening, where we're watching the, the Planet of the Apes movie. Speaking of anthropomorphic animals, those are some better movies in that vein. Um, yeah, if you're tired of ducks, <laughs> check out some apes yeah. on the The Visitors Might Be Listening podcast. How are the ducks' nightmare? Because he always complains about humans being hairless apes. Mm. Um, they're hairy apes in that movie, though. Uh, those movies, I should say. But anyway, yeah, find us there. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at MLevito and Letterboxd at Ameramike. And you can find me on Twitter at Letterboxd as well at, at the Lewis Ryan. And we hope you like, rate, and subscribe this podcast as well. Tell us what you think about Howard the Duck or about why you haven't watched this movie. Um, or maybe how we're wrong and actually it, it, it's a misunderstood work, work of genius. But uh, either yeah, way, email address. Yes, email address at contact at thepostwriter.com, Twitter at thepostwriter. Uh, let us know what you think, and we'll respond either on this podcast or via email. 
Um, it, it really doesn't actually mean a lot when we do hear from people because it means someone's listening. And it's always good to know that that's the case. Um, anyway, on that note, <laughs> thanks so much. And we'll see you next time on Fortress of Ineptitude.